0: Good morning and welcome to another organization leadership podcast live on LinkedIn. And my guest today is regular guest Tom Casley, VP of EMEA with Outreach. And Tom and I are going to be talking about all things related to hiring and recruitment in organizations today, best practice, mistakes to avoid, all that kind of stuff. So without further ado, let me introduce Tom. Tom, you're very welcome to the podcast once more.
1: Good morning. Yeah, good to talk
0: to you again. Tom, let's just start with the hiring start side of things, first of all, because for me, it's just one of those topics that it's we we all know, we've all seen the calculations in terms of how expensive it is to make a bad hire. We've seen how prevalent it can be uh, in organisations. And so with something that's so expensive and so prevalent, why do you keep, why do you think we keep doing it?
1: Oh, huh, wow. Well, yeah, so uh, we're glad we've got a lot of time to talk about this. <laughs> First off, I would actually just lean in on the cost of a bad hire. I think everybody completely underestimates it. Um, I think the last time I looked at it, it was around about half a million dollars. If you're talking about opportunity cost, as well as just the bad hire, and especially in a sales role people burning through leads and, you know, and not converting opportunities, the amount of time it takes to offboard somebody and so on. So um, if that doesn't concentrate everybody's mind, then, um, then yeah, shame on them, I guess. Um, yeah. So with regards to bad hiring, you know, a few things spring to mind. One is uh, I was never given any real formal training on interviewing skills and attributes. Um, so I doubt many other people have, I haven't seen that many courses around for it. There doesn't seem to be, uh, much time spent on, on the process right from the inception, actually, you know, I've seen terrible job descriptions, uh, and that's to coin a phrase we used, uh, in a previous podcast, you know, when you're asking for directions, I wouldn't start from here. Well, if you don't start in the right place with a really concise job description, How can you hire against that uh, in terms of setting expectations? Mm -hmm. There is uh, a lot of ad hoc processes that people run. I think people rush the process as well. Um, The idea of being able to make a good decision on somebody in 30 minutes doesn't make sense to me. Uh, Some of the other things I see very regularly is this kind of hiring by committee. They have them meet like six or seven people for 30 minutes at a time and time and time again i would hear from candidates well i just basically got asked the same question six or seven times it was like it was a rehearsal everything was a rehearsal until i got to speak to the main leader at the end and guess what i practiced all of my answers (laughs) so um, yeah Um, then i think there's elements that are missing as well we tend to um you know, I, I, we'll focus primarily on sales roles, I guess, because of the focus of this podcast rather than in other disciplines. But, yeah. um, you know, that notion of having, you know, a rep come in and do a role play, which is to do it, to do a presentation. And, um, you know, we know that, you know, presentations happen towards the end of a sales cycle when you've discovered and found out everything. I'd much rather focus on a salesperson's ability to do great discovery in a role play rather than their ability to speak to some slides. So, and then my third area would be, uh, I see very little use of uh, assessment tools. And what I mean by that is, in the traditional sense was things like uh, cognitive testing, but you know, they, have they got the smarts? But there now are you know, various companies out there that do specific tests looking for attributes which are important in some. There's so much there,
0: Tom, to unpack from lack of imagination in terms of job descriptions through to poor planning when it comes to what questions we're going to ask, through to bad process when it comes to, okay, if, I'm, if I've got several hiring managers in the process, what's your job? What are you looking for? What's the next person looking for? Uh, and then also when it comes to the tools, and either under utilization or poor utilization or using the wrong tools like say myers-briggs for example that really doesn't tell yeah. you anything about performance yeah. on the job uh, I, I don't know where to start with all of that I, I maybe start with maybe start with ego for me because i, I recall I, I was actually being hired for a job a job i should never have been given and mm. i remember the guy in front of me said uh, i only need to interview once he says I know it my gut and <laughs> he was hiring me and I was the worst person possible for that job. But in his head, he was a legend. How much of that yeah. is the
1: problem? Yeah. So look, there is a, a, there is a natural inclination for people to hire people they like and guess what? They like people like them. And so then you lose a whole diversity pool of candidates uh, as a result of that. So I, Diversity in hiring for me is, is not just an aspiration uh, that you should be looking for just to, you know, for, for lots of really good reasons, but also think of like diversity of thought and thinking and uh, an approach. And if you hire people like you, you end up with an army. Uh, if you hire people who are not like you, you end up with this huge amount of creativity and a potential really just to explode talent and for everybody to learn off everybody else. Uh, the ego one you talk to, though, is um, I have seen in the past, not so much now, but lots of people will, will, will only hire people who they don't think can overtake them, which is the ego angle. Uh, whereas I would rather hire people who I think I can work for in the future um, mm. because, you know, ultimately my job in leadership, I guess, is to make myself redundant, uh, to have mm. somebody, you know, come past me. There's um, there's a lady, um, uh, Amelia Scott, who was an SDR who worked for me back in, exactly. She's now RVP over in Coulteramp, one of the smartest people I was ever lucky enough to have work for me. Just oodles of talent. And, you know, guaranteed one day, I, she probably wouldn't give me a job, but, it, you know, that's the kind of person that I can see because I'm not <laughs> smart enough for her. Uh, that's the kind of person I can see, you know, one day that you know I'd end up working for in you know the latter part of my career because you know her trajectory is just you know going north and, and carrying on at a pace. Yeah.
0: You hired her, if I remember correctly, did you? I mean I, I remember she had all the right stuff. Yeah. So you obviously saw something in her which is something else I think may be important part of is there gut i mean there's something that
1: resonated with you
0: and it was more than just process yes
1: yeah, so um yeah although i would say that the the person i was hiring back then is very different to the person i am hiring now you know, it's, you know eight nine years ago wow. um i kind of i kind of look back on that although that was a really good hire and we hired some pretty good people there as well was uh, slightly ashamed when I compare the process today versus the process back then and um, and that's uh, a bit of a realization uh, that I've come to now hiring for growth is very different for hiring in an organization where you've kind of reached your limit you know if you're if you're growing at 10 or 15 percent per annum you've got a pretty large workforce you're typically hiring people to do a job of work and you expect them to have some tenure in that. When you're growing at kind of the rate we are and a number of other startups are growing, um, the tagline I would give you is you uh, advertise for the role you hire for their next one. So in other words, the interview has kind of got nothing to do with, uh, by the time they're speaking to you, having looked at a recruiter and maybe done one of these tests, you know they're, they've they got the smarts to do the current role, but the, the vast majority and the focus of the FaceTime that we have together is, do they have the potential to do the next role and the role after that? Uh, because uh, in my experience and my passion is one, a meritocracy, but two is really high-performing, uh, high-functioning organizations grow from within. And um, so that has been kind of the driving force behind this refinement of the hiring process recently. Mm.
0: I know, Tom, you have a, I want to get to you in a moment about do's and don'ts, because I know you have a lot of kind of those personal philosophies and rules on, on hiring. Yeah. Before I do that, you mentioned diversity a few moments ago. And I was wondering when you were saying that, how important, in, in order to hire a diverse group of people, How important is it that the hiring managers, if you have, say, five stages and five different individuals from HR to the hiring manager, maybe to the CEO, whoever uh, involved in that process, how important is it that you put together a diverse hiring team? Or is it okay to have a, let's say, a, a, a lack of diversity in the hiring team so long as they're diversity aware?
1: No, I, I, I'm adamant that you have a diver. If you are going to have multiple people involved in the hiring process, we keep it to a bare minimum. We don't have this kind of, you know, um, uh, this pool of people that you end up seeing like seven or eight people for half an hour at a time. As so we just said, you know, kind of you end up having the same, same thing going on. But uh, yeah, having a, a, hiring a diverse pool of individuals requires a diverse hiring committee. And diversity. The last time I looked at it, was so there's like 28 different attributes of diversity. It's not just you know race, color, religion, all of the legal elements, but mm. even things like you know I'm wildly dyslexic and I can't spell my own name in joined up letters. But uh, so you know I have a different way of thinking. But you know the other end of the spectrum is the autistic end of the spectrum. You know just as a as a funny one is I, I like that. When you see in a job a a job description we're looking for somebody who's who can think outside the box but has an eye for detail so you're looking for somebody who's autistic and dyslexic yeah
0: it's it's like this you're looking for a flying tractor yeah somebody
1: yeah yeah so in our in our uh, we have a a dedicated part of our interview process towards the end which is the culture interview uh, for us, it's 90 minutes to two hours long, uh, and it gets into kind of the nitty gritty of, you know, kind of what, what makes up people, you know, how do they tick? And and, and, and the rationale behind doing that is, you know, in a, a fast growing company, you know, the, the pressure ebbs and flows, and you know, never have enough resources, because you're kind of always pushing the envelope. And uh, if you really click with the people you work with, then uh, you're more likely to gel under pressure rather than to explode. And for that particular interview, uh, we absolutely ensure that we have a huge amount of diversity. So we'll put in one of our female leaders or somebody from a different background, cultural background or educational background or somebody who thinks differently like me, you know, as a a broad thinker or something. Um, Yeah, that's critical.
0: brings another question into my mind, which is, if you've got this, you're hiring for diversity, but you also want people to gel. Now, I know those are not mutually exclusive, but I say that just because it's top of head. I've never examined it because my gut might tell me that if you've got people with different backgrounds, different cultural experiences, different genders, different races, then, in order for them to gel, you have to really know what you're looking for. There has to be some common threads that, that do pull those diverse people together.
1: What are some of those common threads that you look for? Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, our, the core values we have at Outreach, we're quite fortunate that that kind of informs that process. So, you know, some of them would be, uh, uh, you know, we have grit. So we're looking for people who can demonstrate in the past. uh, I geek out on interview questions, by the way. So, you know, I'm always, whenever I ask anybody or speak to other leaders, I'm always like, what are your top two interview questions you ask? And, you know, uh, and as a result of that, when we're looking at grit, two of the questions we ask is, uh, one of the questions is, what's the hardest thing you've ever had to fight for? And then the second question is, what's the hardest thing you've ever had to work for? And, you know, are they impressive Uh, You know, did they really did? Was it over a long period of time or what have you? So we're looking for traits of culture, not looking for everybody to come from, you know, private school, Tony's background type thing. And then then the second element of that's got nothing to do with the interview process, but it's more to do with that leadership style, which is, you know, if you want diversity of thought, it's important that those thoughts are communicated from, uh, from the wider part of the organization, not just from leadership. So, uh, you know, an example of that is if somebody, uh, as a leader, we've spoken about this in the past, but, you know, m- my job is not to have people do it my way, but to help them do it their way. By yeah. the way, I learn a ton of stuff doing that because they're pretty smart, clever people. But then when they've cracked the nut and they've come up with something that's absolutely awesome, is to then create a forum for them to go and communicate that to everybody else. And what that creates is that is that flywheel effect that everybody thrives in that diversity and learns from each other, their approach, their background, their thoughts and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've actually seen the team get tighter, more collaborative because they know that they can go and explore a situation from multiple different angles. It actually mm-hmm. drives that collaboration rather than create a barrier.
0: Hmm.
1: I like it for sure.
0: Uh, I can't let you leave this section without asking you, because you mentioned that you like to ask other people what's their favorite questions, and you said you geek out on that. What are your top two questions that you you absolutely would ask every time?
1: So the first question we ask in interview, which tells me a lot of things is, uh, tell me uh, a little bit about your career uh, and your background and, and, you know, take two or three minutes to describe that to me. Mm-hmm. And in a sales role, it, you find out a number of things. Can they be concise? Do they have brevity? Do they answer the question? Do they stick to the time frame of two or three minutes? So the question actually tests multiple different facets of skills and capability. Yeah. Uh, my favorite, favorite one, which I stole from Richard mullander who is the ex-chief hostage negotiator of the UK. So I think hostage negotiators are great at asking questions, funny enough, is uh, who is the best boss you've ever worked for and why did you like them so much? And what that tells you is uh, uh, immediately they'll start to describe the attributes the leader and in the environment that made them excel because guess what they like they like the people they worked for that that made them the best version of themselves and immediately you start to get a sense for okay um you know if the answer to that question was well i really like this person they they gave me loads of training whenever i went to them they just gave me the answer i needed uh they were always there for me they came on all of my calls I'm like, right, red flag, <laughs> this is somebody that is basically an administrator of sales and brings their super salesperson with them. If it's somebody where they say, look, I love this person. They constantly challenged me. Uh, they, they broadened my thinking. Um, uh, they, they, they understood how I ticked and they motivated in me in innovative ways. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and realised that you know I had a family at home, and I you know wasn't going to work 15 hours a day, but they absolutely gave me the environment in which to excel. I'm like, right now, I kind of get how this person ticks. Mm. Yeah, I love it. I love it. You might have my favourite if I might share because it,
0: it's popping my, my head right now, and it's not even a question, and it's asked where you believe that this person is a good fit and it's a sort of a, a final validation question. Sorry. It's not even a question. It's a statement, which is Tom, I, I don't think you're right for this job. Yeah. And to see how they respond with that to that. And, and that's the real thing. It's not, you know, if they roll over and say, Oh, Oh, okay. If that's the way you feel, okay. And, and if they leave it, well, they're definitely not right for it. If they get upset, and emotional, they're not right for it. But if they're just reflected back and say, oh, wh- why do you say that? Or what makes you think that? Then that, that's a, a validator, yeah, yeah. if you like. And, and,
1: and, and this is the crux, is what you've done there with it. So uh, great question, but even better if you're able to identify the attributes, the talents, the capabilities and traits that you're looking for. So in that moment, if they freeze uh, or fight, uh, do they do they flinch? Um, do they ask more questions or do they just go into battle mode and t- start doing objection handling and just spill their guts as to why they think they're brilliant? You're, you're testing a huge number of particular sales skills there. And so that would be a good example of a great question. But if you don't know what you're looking for as a result of that. So. In, in our interviews, not only do, and in an effort to kind of improve interview skills across the organization, we have the questions, but then we have a box next door to it that says, and this is the kind of thing we're looking for, and this is why we're asking this question, to give it the real context of where it sits in the process.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and that has you go through a refinement process. For example, yeah. um, you know, a, a not such a good question would be something like, you know, can you give me uh, a, an example of how you've grown a company's revenue? Right for a sales leader, I, I don't think that's a great question. The one for me would be: if you started in this role, you know what structural changes would you make in the first year uh, to grow the revenue? Mm-hmm. Now, now you're now you're not having them tell a story; you're having them apply their 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 skills and attributes from the past to the current one. Yeah. Ideally, they'll ask a ton of questions yeah. about the existing structure already. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to talk
0: to you about your your core philosophies, your do's and don'ts on hiring. Maybe share with me some of your favorites.
1: Uh, well, first and foremost, it's um, it's the hiring manager's job uh, to hire people. So don't delegate that responsibility. Um, for leaders, the majority of the time, uh, they don't spend enough in, in hiring, you know, probably 20, 30% of my week is, you know, it's talking to candidates. Uh, we're actually constantly hiring, although we might not necessarily have roles open. So just this keeping this pool of talent available because the passive market come on and off market as they go. Um, yeah. We talked about it at the beginning. Um, another area I geek out on is the job description. A lot of people just go to another website, copy their job description. And I just find that unbelievable. It's, um, you know, the, 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 how, how are you not describing, uh, you know, the role and the attributes that you're looking for? And um, and if the job description is actually written properly, it should inform probation and it should inform career development post post that as well. Mm. I'm curious about the job description one
0: because you're right. So much of it lacks imagination, and it also lacks character, meaning that when you read it, you can get no sense of what type of a place this is to work for. It's sterile. It's just there's no emotion in it. There's no storytelling. There's uh, no sense of humanity, I guess, in in it, which I think is is awful. Yeah. And, and, I, and I don't know why that is, because I think it's clear. And if you look, if you could just Google good hiring descriptions, you get lots of resources that will tell you what looks good. Or and, and what I see on LinkedIn so much is somebody will put up, there's even a badge for this now that goes around your <laughs> profile, like, we're hiring. Like, and yeah. that's that's the, the length of it. How, uh, I don't know. I don't understand it. Maybe maybe you could help me.
1: Well, yeah, so there's... Um... As Dave Snowden once said, you you know more than you can say, you can say more than you can write. So I certainly wouldn't expect a job description to answer all of those objectives. I think, you know, in tandem with a job description, you've got to have a good job page on your website. Ideally, a video on there that kind of that has multiple people in the organization talking about what it's like to work at the company. Um, and also make sure that you have a face on LinkedIn for multiple people within your organization at multiple levels, so they can get a feeling for what are the other type of people who work there? Uh, mm. would, I, would I fit in? Um, you know, do, do they make sense? Is the, do the things they talk about resonate with me and so on? So that's, that's kind of the PR or the marketing that goes around a job description. Mm. But for me, a, a job description has uh, five key elements. Um, uh, actually six, because the first one is how it's written. So there are uh, various tools on the internet that can make sure that you've got gender-neutral language in there. So that's around accessibility. And then the second part of it is um, something I learned last year is you have to be really careful about uh, when you're talking about what's expected in a given role and the experience, because... Uh typically what you'll find is uh when a when a man reads a job interview, if they're not sure whether they can do it or not, they'll still have a go. And uh actually when a when a woman looks at a job advert, they don't think they can do it, they won't apply. Mm. Uh, so you can actually you know massively reduce your candidate pool uh simply by uh by writing the wrong type of stuff in there. So okay. for me, the that number one is uh, the job's purpose and what are the key metrics uh, that are associated with that particular role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two would then be their responsibilities, what we're looking for them to own. Three would be any kind of experience which is mandatory, and I try to keep that absolutely to the bare minimum. And you'll see on our job invites what we, rather than saying they're mandatory, what we, what we normally refer to is. We find that people who are a good fit for this role have typically had this experience in the past. And then we'll list out what that might be. Um, we then go on to skills, behaviors, and attributes. So in a selling role, it's, um, you know, it's being a, a good listener. Uh, it's being a good storyteller. Uh, it's, it's having the ability to ask good questions and do good discovery. Uh, and then we have the values at the end, which is our core values. So when we're interviewing, our two interviews are the skills, behavior and attributes interview, where we specifically ask questions related to those skills and attributes that we're looking for. And then the values uh, come after that. OK, I'd like to
0: just dig down on this a little bit because it really does interest me because I, I I have been that soldier. I know I've gone for jobs where if I was reading the job description, I had no right to go for And I think partly that was because the job description was written uh, in an aspirational way. Here's our perfect candidate. And then they're going to negotiate downwards when they meet people like me. Yeah. And what you're saying is that men will kind of overlook that aspirational element when they're applying. Women won't. They'll look at the five years required and go, well, I've only got two years. The man will go and go, you know what? I convinced that my two years is great. (laughs) Yeah. So, so that's one element of it. And I get that. And I guess what you're saying is then, and I'll keep this really simple, is that you've got to write the job description, not as the perfect aspirational one, but as the, if two years is, is acceptable, then say two years. And that right. will bring in then
1: female candidates yes. who will look at that and go, I've got those two years. What I, 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 the, the, I, the analogy I just come up with there is, um, can you imagine if you were, you know, I'm now selling my product to the market. Can you imagine if all of the advertising I did said we're looking for prospects who are an exact match to our ICP, and yeah. you'd have like three leads a month? Yeah, yeah. you, you yeah. deliberately do all of your advertising to try and get as many people as possible who fit within the realms of suitability, uh, and also uh, because whether we, there is unconscious, we all have unconscious bias. There's no point in hiding away from the fact. Even when we write the job description, we can put it through as many diverse people in our business as possible. And we, we do get other people to look at them to say, how do you feel about this and what have you? Uh, we can't legislate for how it's read at the other end, how that person arrives, how they're feeling. So uh, you, not only do you put it to, to be accessible to a wider audience, you, you're also trying to attract people who might be slightly on the periphery, who, Cal turn out to be a superstar. And so, yeah, it's, it's lead generation. That's what a job description's there for. It's not the it's not the contract of employment. Mm. So, if I t- but the other part of that question was, I wonder, as part
0: of that, is there an element that women will also sometimes, and again, it's huge generalisation, discount their own abilities, experience, and the value of that experienced in no matter how you frame it, they'll kind of, they'll automatically, even though they might have technically the right attributes in their own mind, somehow maybe it's due to lack of confidence. And again, I I even hate saying this because it's such a massive generalization. Mm. But I'm just wondering if that experience is, is there an element there that you need to adjust for some way? Uh, Like Even if you don't think you have the experience, we'd still love to hear from you, that kind of thing. I just wondered. Yeah, that's,
1: and, and that comes down to having, you know, a great recruiter. So, you know, we've got a great recruiter here, Carolina. You know, her job is to go after the passive market. She's able to identify, you know, she knows the market so well. She knows what companies have hired well in the past, uh, how they work. She just just speaks to enough people, and then she can go and, and pitch, and then we upgrade. So they won't have seen the job description, but she's able to yeah. talk about it. And so in that hierarchy of no more than you can say, say, more than you can write, she's able to pitch that uh in a way that drives that uh, that, yeah. that it, it, potential it's... to be yeah. interesting yeah yeah
0: you, you, there's a couple of things in my mind one you asked earlier about best manager ever uh and mine was a guy called alistair bannon uh, at motorola he was the one who hired me into motorola and uh i they went through a recruiter first. And I remember I was living in England at the time and I went down to London for this interview with this recruiter, got on fine, but I was turned down because I didn't have the criteria that they were looking for. And that was fine. Maybe two months later, three months later, I get a call. I was actually in the in, in the airport in Corfu coming from home from holidays. And I get a call from the recruiter and said, um, actually, Alistair would like to talk to you. That's the short version, and uh, <laughs> what had transpired was that the Alistair was based in in in, in High Wickham, or yeah, uh, Aylesbury. Sorry, Aylesbury. Yeah, and uh, the job was in Dublin, which is one of the reasons why I applied for it. And uh, they they had they'd given the job, I think, the two or three people, but when push came to shove, and it was time to move to Dublin, their partners. Said, I'm not moving to Dublin. Yeah, and I, I guess one stage they failed to check that up front, which was <laughs> a, a, an oversight. But another side was there was something that they didn't even see or think of as part of the hiring process. That was in the end, was what got me over the line and changed the tra- trajectory of my my life. There's no question about it. Mm. Um, and I'm just wondering, can you can you legislate for those kind of things? um or is it just you have to learn it the hard way i don't know it's, it's it's a difficult one it's not something i would have thought about
1: yeah i mean i do i do accept in our process we're going to have some false positives in a sense we're going to end up turning down some candidates early on in the process who could have been great uh but the key for me is is hiring great you know it's not it's not a great there's no there's no perfect match to that um mm one of one of that um that profiling tool i was talking about where we get uh, sales reps to fill out this quiz it takes like 45 minutes um the reason i like that so much is oftentimes you know in sales time territory talent target the four t's of sales success it's no different for sales leaders either they where could those have been, by again they, they were very quick for anybody who wanted yeah, yeah. to buy again <laughs> Uh, time territory talent and target and tenacity remember we added the fifth one the other week okay um, so somebody uh, may be turned down by a recruiter because they 've been in an organization and they didn 't hit their number in the first year they hit the number in the second year and then for the next three years they didn 't hit the number did they ask him did their quota get doubled every year did their mm-hmm. did their did their territory get smaller every year you know, w- were the cards stacked against them, mm, and yeah. um, that would be a good example of where somebody's discounted from the process. You know, um, you know, for, for all of the wrong reasons. You yes, know, somebody yes. who's job hopped a couple of times. You look, like, oh, I'm not interested in people who job hop. Well, you know, and you know, one one is is okay. The other one, it might be family situation. You know, uh, my other half. Uh, you know, had a, you know, a job opportunity, we needed to move, that meant I had to leave that organization. And they don't ask those questions to dig in and find out, is there something behind that? So the reason we put that quiz at the beginning is it really informs us as to their potential um, and uh, to their suitability for uh, for the sales environment. And that gives us the confidence, therefore, to move to that next stage, even when they might not be a perfect match when we look at you know, did they job hop, or you know, did they you know smash their number out of the park for the last five years? I know mm-hmm. some terrible salespeople who've earned an absolute fortune. They've been in the right place at the right time. There's a skill in that.
0: Yeah, for sure, no question about it. Talk to me about the process. You said you don't have try. You don't want to have too many people involved in your hiring process. What I'd like to do is take the people out it and just look at the stages. And that if it's a first interview, for example, what do you look for in that? As you go into the second one, what do you look for in that? And then this part B is when you do bring in other people, how do you make sure that you're not tripping over each other that you're that it that it's from the the in the interviewees perspective, it's a seamless process. Um, and, and that you're looking for different things and it's set up well. So talk to me about process first, I guess is what I'm asking.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, process pretty simple. So, um, if it's an inbound, uh, we'll do some form of a review of the application. We're looking for you know, little things like location, might be uh, particular skills. If we are adamant that they have some of those capabilities, um, you know, is their application well written? Is it? You know, does it have any spelling mistakes in it? Do they have a covering letter? Is ideal. Uh, and then there's some other ones which are nice to have. You know, have they sold SaaS software before? Um, mm. But just because they've sold SaaS software doesn't mean to say that uh, they're good at it. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's the first stage. And then the the counter to that, and the passive market, is obviously where we're kind of pre-researching that before we reach out to somebody. Uh, the second step in the process uh, is we do have a very short call, and that is some that is the purpose of that call. Uh, is one is just to build some rapport uh, but ultimately to get them excited about the opportunity because we're about to ask them to invest a considerable amount of time working out whether we're a good fit for each other mm. and in my experience people will lean into that more if they're excited about the potential otherwise mm. they can fall over in the first stages because they're trying to work out is this a good thing and they they don't turn up with their a game they don't turn up, uh, you know, wanting it to be a success from the beginning. Uh, that's a recent change we've made and it's had a profound impact. Mm. The, the state up. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to ask you,
0: sorry, Tom, before you move on from that, what I'm hearing is that, and that first one is like, it's almost like you're marketing to them. You're, or priming is a better word, right? Priming them. Yeah. How much of that, though, is also where you're paying attention to how do they sound on a phone call? How confident do they sound? How much are they in control of that process? How much of that qualification from your side is going on?
1: Yeah, so there is, um, I mean, when we were face-to-face, there was, there was more stuff you could do, but even over over Zoom, for example, you know, uh, what time did they arrive? Um, did they uh, mute, uh, you know, the the their etiquette on on Zoom, were they muting unmuting? Was the video on or off? Uh, did they have? Um, uh, are they writing stuff down? Uh, did they set up their background? Were they deliberate about their environment, or are they? You know? So there's lots of things you can do just to kind of assess how they how they turn up in general. A bit like um, when I was at Oracle, we used to have. Um, uh, somebody else bring a candidate up and we always used to make sure the interview room was a long way away from reception and uh, they would put them in the room and then they would come and speak to us for a few minutes and the first thing we were asking them is you know what was the walk like were they asking lots of questions were they were they qualifying the audience were they were they engaging with you were they talking to you as important as well and what have you so yeah even uh, every stage they're on show aren't they they're, you know, yeah. um The second thing we do is we we normally try and construct some form of uncomfortable moment in those 30 minutes, again, to test, um, you know, maybe we'll go off mute or um, or, uh, one of the ones I've I've given away a secret here is say, look, I just need to go and grab a, a glass of water, turn my video off, and I stay in the seat. And I'm just watching to see what they do for the next five minutes. And then I come back, <laughs> and, you, I know of but, you know, and I've had somebody, uh, you know, like, you know, like uh, you know, just like disappear, do something else. I've had others making notes. They're talking to themselves, and um, I've I've heard from others who I gave this tip to. Uh, you know, they're like, can't believe I'm doing this. It's like, right, okay, well, that's that's good to know. That has it. It does feel me. creepy, by the way. I've done this when I'm
0: training, when people are doing exercises, whatever. Yeah, I I, I'm off camera, and I can see, or if I'm showing them a video, I can see their reaction to the video, and it's like it's like goggle box. Yeah, see see what they're doing, or whether they're even engaged at all, because they don't know that I'm looking at them through this one way window. (laughs) It is, but and it does feel a little bit creepy. I do feel bad at times, but uh, I think as a tip, it's a
1: wonderful one. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. So then then we do then we do the quiz next. And, uh, you know, it's 45 minutes of their time uh, is really important to us. We can, um, we can start to say one of the two of the three of the biggest things I look for in there is one is uh, it helps to tell us do they take responsibility. And that's really critical in sales. Um, let me give you an example. Somebody who doesn't take responsibility, when they lose a deal, the kind of things you'll hear them say is, well, uh, our price was too high. The competitor got in there early. Uh, they never engaged with us. Uh, we didn't have this particular feature or function. They wanted something else. And, and to my mind, there's two reasons why you lose a deal. Uh, one is you shouldn't have been in there in the first place uh, or you were outsold. Yep. Uh, and that's it. Uh, everything boils down to that. And so if somebody takes responsibility, they can learn. That's critical. The, the second part of it is, are they made for sales? So what I mean by that is more about their DNA. So yeah. are they comfortable talking about money? Uh, can they control their emotions? Do they need approval? Now, I've yeah. seen some great salespeople who don't score well in those three areas, but they are the kind of people that on the weekend they really need to you know take time out. Because. It just takes it out of them. People that have that natural kind of DNA, they it, it doesn't wear them down, and um, and and ultimately, it's something. It's like doing a sport you don't enjoy. Guess what? You rather play sports you enjoy and you tend to thrive at, rather than forcing somebody to go and do something. They'll never uh, ultimately, in their core, enjoy. It. So the test is the uh, is the next stage. After that. We then get into the formal bit, so we have the skills interview, uh, which for us is, um, yeah, hour and a half, I guess, uh, Mm -hmm. to get through. And that is uh, normally done with two people, and the hiring manager and another. Mm -hmm. And uh, both people, what's critical here is, um, now we also, because most of it's done over Zoom, we'll, we'll invite Outreach Kaya, which allows us to record and transcribe the call, uh, but also we'll make copious notes. And the notes yes. we make are phonetical. We don't write our opinion. We type what they say. Right. And naturally, if you're looking at five or six candidates, if, if you just wrote down, I really like their answer they lent in, how can I compare that objectively next time? I yes. need to write down what they say, and then we go and score them later and compare and contrast. Mm. Yeah. Mm. We also have the same questions. that We have a set of Uh, for each skill and attribute, we have about seven questions. Uh And if you have to ask all seven, you're really struggling to find that skill or attribute. You know, somebody oftentimes somebody, we can move to the next section after two questions because they've really displayed what we're looking for. So it allows us to kind of, you know, keep drilling in just in case they messed up their response. We can ask it from different angles, different places. Again, Really, like you were doing good discovery to really work out, you know, do they have that capability or that skill or is there a a gap or something? And having completed that, then the final stage is the culture interview, uh, which is two people again, uh, but two different people. And the culture interview is consistent across across the company. So any of the hiring managers here uh, have done that interview hundreds of times. Uh, and we come together probably every couple of months uh, and relook at the questions and make sure that they're still appropriate. Are we asking mm-hmm. them in the same way? Uh, looking at how people are responding to those questions uh, and making sure that we're all eliciting the the right kind of stuff from it. Can you give me a flavour of of what culture when you're quizzing it what what it sounds yeah, so like? one of my favourites on there is. Um, uh, so uh, can you give me your top three strengths? Yeah, so this is when we actually comes under uh, we are honest. So mm-hmm. I'm looking for somebody to give their strengths. They're normally very good at those, uh, although sometimes they kind of repeat a strength as another one and you kind of, well, pick another one. And then what mm-hmm. we ask uh, would be, well, now can you give us three of your weaknesses? Mm-hmm. People really struggle with that. One is they've never really thought about it. Uh, or they're not, uh, you know, completely aware of themselves or oftentimes what they'll do is they'll give a weakness. So they say, oh, I'm a workaholic. I'm like, right. I-, I really like that. And that's a strength. So have another go. And I'll say, uh, oh, I just obsess about, you know, details. And like, All right. OK. Yeah, that's another strength. Good. Thanks. Uh, give me another one. And, and I end up probably having to ask them for about seven or eight weaknesses to try and get to one eventually. Yeah, um, which is really eye-opening. But I had candidates say to me, oh, I really had to think about it. I've never looked it in that way. And oftentimes I just have to give them my weaknesses you know, just to try and give them a sense of them. It's okay yeah. to have weaknesses. And then the follow-on question to that is, I'd say, um, uh, who's your current manager? Maybe they say uh, it's Claire. All right, okay. Mm. Uh, obviously we'll speak to Claire If you're successful in this role, we want to get her feedback. Um, How would her answers differ to yours in the area of strengths and weaknesses? Hmm. Now, what's interesting is oftentimes they're completely different, but two Hmm. is bang, straight away. People are very aware of other people's opinions of them. They're not necessarily so aware of their opinions of themselves.
0: That's really weird. Interestingly weird as to Hmm. why that might be because... If they're aware of somebody else's perceptions of them, it shows that they have a sense of self just through somebody else's
1: eyes. Yeah, but, you know, they might not agree with it necessarily. So then another one we dig into is, you know, what's the hardest piece of feedback you've ever been given? And by the way, it needs to have been true. Oh, you're agreeing oh that's,
0: with sick. that's twisting the knife. <laughs> yeah,
1: because if you don't say that. that, they'll say, "Well, the hardest piece of feedback I was given was this," but you know what? I didn't agree with it.
0: And tell me, I'm just curious. What are the kind of, without you know, being too specific, is what are the kind of responses that you've gotten over the years that have surprised you or shocked you the most? To those kind of questions.
1: Oh, I mean, some of the ones like, you know, the hardest ones to fight for have been, uh, you know, nearly tear jerking. Some of them, you know, some of the some of the the trials and tribulations people have had to go through to get to where they're at. Mm -hmm. Um, Truth. I mean, if I thought about a couple of them, I'll cry on here. But um, yeah, just a minute. Let me collect myself a second. (laughs) I won't. I won't. I'll spare their blushes, of course. But yeah, you know, anything from, you know, overcoming, you know, racism, sexism, uh, family pressure, uh, the parents just uh, wondering why they're wasting their time going down a particular career path. I and mean, it's, yeah. oh, it's, it's, it requires somebody to be hugely vulnerable,
0: which is a strength. Yeah. is its is, is, is it, is it, is it? is it a, in terms of the expectation bar, it feels to me like it's a little high that somebody should be, not required, but Mm. encouraged or invited to open up and disclose something that may be very personal. And that some people may have the same experience, but just not feel comfortable sharing that with somebody else. I would have no problem sharing that. And does that give me an unfair advantage then over somebody who may be more, private a person, but maybe even better than me at the job. I'm just wondering how you distinguish in, in that situation. Yeah,
1: well, yeah. So, so one is, uh, I love the word you use. It's not a requirement. Yeah. It's not, we're not trying to get people to talk about things they are uncomfortable with or what have you. Um, what I would say to you is, you know, as, uh, as we know, even with like the Sandler side of things, you know, if you do great discovery, you know, and you get down to personal level pain, Funny enough, uh, even complete strangers will open up completely to you if you're asking questions with empathy and rewarding and reversing and actually mm-hmm. uh, identifying with their trials and tribulations. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a small part of the cultural interview. You know, what I know. For what sure, it. sure, no, no, I um, understand. But you know, some of it is you know, it's the skill of the interviewer. Uh, yeah. I, I, during this interview, I will often expose some of my own challenges, yeah. and that gives them permission. Uh it's this isn't like a, they're not talking to a, a brick wall you know yeah. I will you know refer to my weaknesses or, or challenges I've had in the past or or what have you in uh, as we go through it um uh, and often yeah give people examples if they're struggling where to go to and um uh, and that is a typical certain you know we deliberately structured it in a way that it would be difficult to answer all of the questions just relating to your professional experience mm. Mm. um and to give them permission to to start to look at more of themselves rather than mm. rather than their, their professional life is where yeah. we offer you know our own kind of vulnerabilities, if you will.
0: Yeah, I, I actually the, the more I think about it, the more I love it. And here's what I I wasn't looking at the first time around is if an interviewer or a, a company, an interviewer on behalf of a company, can make me feel comfortable enough. To open up and share something that, that that deep, then that's the kind of company I want to work for. Yeah, yeah, and we have uh, that. Then, you know.
1: uh, yeah, one of the you know, if you spoke to Carolina, she would say to you, you know, as a recruiter, she's it's unusual for her to book two-hour meetings with candidates. She said I, I really struggle to you know to get them to commit that time, uh, you know, on occasion because they're busy, especially in the passive mm-hmm. market. The universal feedback we have from candidates that go through the process is, you know, I, I, number one, they've typically learned something about themselves. Mm. Number two is, especially during the skills interview, we typically offer some coaching at some point if something comes up. Again, we want to get across that this is an area where a company, you're going to grow at. And so they say, I've learned something. I'm going to take that tip away. I found out something about myself. I really enjoyed that. I felt I really got to know you and what it will be like to work for you and other people in your company. And that comes from spending time with people. Mm. Uh, that goes back to that first thing is, I, I don't believe you can interview somebody effectively in half an hour. Agreed. Mm. Yeah. I'm um, just looking at the time. We did have a question that came up, and I, I, I wanted to... Uh,
0: I see. Well, let me let me bring it in. Uh, we have here, uh, let me just bring it in, Having haven't seen it. For startups, smaller setup we have issues to attract good candidates as they're looking for bigger established
1: organizations. What do you suggest for this situation? Yeah, so uh, I could, yeah, if they're looking for bigger established organizations, <laughs> then they're not the right candidate for you either. So it's no, it's no loss. <laughs> yeah, um, that is, yeah. I, I would, yeah. Uh, I'd start to look to frame it slightly differently in that, you know, what do they get when they come and work for a smaller startup? So, you know, uh, the job description is, you know, it's day one, day two, you could be doing this, day three, you could be doing this. So, you know, I'd, I'd be selling the attributes of, this is a varied working environment. You can carve out a career in multiple directions. Mm. No day will be the same. Um, if you're somebody who feels restricted by process, uh, and uh, and bureaucracy we're not the kind of place to come and work for if you're somebody who thrives in an innovative environment and you know and enjoys you know collaborating with colleagues and doing problem solving mm-hmm. then we're the kind of place for you um yeah. i've you know sold in i i'd work for you if you put that in, but that's kind of yeah, yeah, not the sure of my wheelhouse yeah
0: yeah, I think I think a smaller companies have to be really good at selling the story of who they are and where they're going, because I think journey. people will be attracted to that. And there's now I'm going to get this wrong, but the gist of it is is correct. It was in the movie about uh, uh, Steve Jobs at Apple, and it was I think he was hiring somebody, uh, some senior guy from HP. Again, I could have the details wrong. And it was along the lines of how he framed the question. He says, look, he says, do you want to continue shifting boxes for the rest of your life or do you want to build the internet? Yeah. And it was that sense of, it's the story, where are we going? What are we doing that we're making a significance? And small companies are good at that. If they've got a good story and they really believe that they're making a difference to the right person, that's a powerful attraction rather than I'm just another cog in a wheel.
1: Uh, And the other one for me is growth. Uh, so the other thing that a smaller company can uh, definitely get out there as part of that advertising and advances, you know, be, be proactive about talking about the promotions that have happened within, you know, just, just this month out of my SDR org, we've promoted six people. Two have gone into sales. Another one's gone. Uh, another two have been promoted into senior roles in the organization. Another one is applying for a customer success role. And when you yeah. have that track record, what you're saying to somebody when they join is, "I'm not in a shoebox or in a locker, and, and I'm and I'm held there." Mm. That is going to, ha- you know, if you go yeah. to a big established organization, that's what's going to happen. That's your role. Stay in your box. Yeah, yeah. But well, you need to. I'm give very conscious. Food.
0: I'm very conscious, Tom. of time We're up against the hour and. uh, I'd love to have you back next month to talk about onboarding. So once you've found yeah. the right person, how do we get them, ramp them up quickly and yeah. climate or integrate them into the organization? Um, just to thank you so much for your insights, as always, just incredibly, incredibly valuable and useful. So thank you once again and I'll talk to you next month. It's a pleasure.